Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Dr. Alexandra Soa. And we're really doing women with PCOS a disservice because the traditional fix was just to say, well, your periods are irregular, so we'll fix that. We'll put you on hormonal birth control, and then we fix that problem, so I don't need to see you again. But what no one was really explaining, and I, I, don't, I just don't think that we learn it in this way in medical school, so it's not like someone's withholding information. They just themselves don't know. I didn't know BGYN. That up to 50% of women with PCOS will go on to develop type 2 diabetes by the time they're 40. And if we're starting to get these symptoms in our teenage years, you have all this time to prevent and not just prevent the disease, but make yourself feel better <laughs> by following a low carbohydrate diet, by understanding what insulin resistance is, that we set up the trajectory of your life to be very different. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today. We have an awesome episode today with Dr. Alexandra Soa. She brought the knowledge. She brought the energy. She, she has an amazing background. She's a dual board certified doctor. So internal dual board certified doctor. MD from uh, NYC, New York City. And she saw the writing on the wall working with end stage diseased patients, whether it's cancer, diabetes, metabolic dysfunction. And she wanted to actually be proactive and get to the cause and causes before a person would get to that point. And kudos to her, she made the transition to more functional medicine. So in this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we are going to discuss PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, very common. She's going to give you some of the stats on that and why high insulin, insulin resistance is the root cause. And then we dive even deeper into insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes. I share some really crazy stats of sick care and the health, or I should say the disease statistics out there in America when it comes to diabetes, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, PCOS, strokes, heart disease. We have a problem, but you know what? We also have the solution and this conversation offers you the solutions. So we'll get into how you could use the ketogenic lifestyle to reverse insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes. We get into intermittent fasting and why she loves intermittent fasting, the importance of sleep, why she thinks everybody should be going for a walk after a big meal and what that will do to your postprandial glucose. She's also a big fan of berberine. She'll explain why. And then we get into her Get So Well kits. This is absolutely brilliant. What an amazing idea. I wish I would have come up with this idea, honestly. So we know there's a lot of barriers to, first of all, getting the right lab work done because a lot of doctors deny it. Health insurance and companies say it's experimental and also people don't even know what to ask for. So she put together these kits. There's one available right now for weight loss and for insulin resistance, and it's called the Weight Biology Kit. And it's a finger prick kit, meaning it's sent to you. You do it at the comfort of your own home. There is a return envelope and label. You ship it back and you get results in a cool little software app that you log in. So insurance can cover it. I'll ask her that question. She shares a couple of insurance companies that cover it. Or you could pay out of pocket. But you know what? It's very affordable. And this is something that is so important because you're going to hear why 
Fasting insulin is so important to check and why you may have normal blood sugars and A1C for years, but still developing insulin resistance. So the kit that we're going to kind of dive into, it's the one I have right now on my desk. I'm looking at it. It, it tests for fasting insulin, fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, thyroid stimulating hormone, vitamin B12, triglycerides, HDL cholesterol, and LDL cholesterol. So you are going to have an opportunity to actually get access to these kits. She's going to release the PCOS one in a few days. So maybe by the time you listen to this, that one will be out. We're going to put the link for her website down below. But the coupon code for you to get her kits and her supplements, anything that she has on her website, you get for 10% off. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes. We'll put it right at the top. And when you're checking out, use the coupon code KETOCAMP. Camp with the K, no space in between, keto camp at checkout. We'll talk more about that. So you'll hear about what exactly, how this works and what's included. So before I bring her on, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple podcast, a rating review of the day. This is a five-star review just came in from RK Phil H. Titled, my new favorite. Upon first glance, it may look like There's a lot of keto podcasts out there, but most have been abandoned. There's a small handful left, and I just found this one. I love the long-form talk, and even when it gets technical, because I want to know the host and guests have done their research. Awesome. RK Phil H., thank you so much. You're right. There's a lot of keto podcasts out there that have been released over the years, but only a handful, we are one of those, have have the stamina and longevity, which is something we're so proud of. Thanks for leaving that rating and review. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcast, please do so right now or any podcast you listen to. It really helps the show grow. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode and give you a shout out. Okay, let's have an awesome conversation with Dr. Alexandra Soa. Dr. Soa is a board-certified physician of internal medicine specializing in preventative health nutrition, obesity, and medicine. Through her New York City practice, she has helped thousands of patients lose weight and live healthier lives. Dr. Soa also holds an appointment as a clinical instructor in medicine at the New York University School of Medicine. She has published original articles on health-related topics in publications like The Atlantic, NPR, Slate Magazine, and The New York Daily News. She has also served as an on-air health expert for national media outlets like Fox News, CBS News, NPR, The Doctors, and her medical opinions have been featured in print publications from the New York Times to U.S. News and World Report to Glamour and Parents Magazine. She's also a regular weight loss expert on Sirius XM Radio. Here's Dr. Alexandra Soa. Dr. Alexandra Soa, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Credit to our mutual friend, Cynthia Thurlow, who connected us. You were on her podcast, the awesome podcast, the Everyday Wellness Podcast. We love Cynthia. The Keto Campers love Cynthia. So thank you, Cynthia, for connecting me. And Dr. Alexandra, if you're listening, you're uh, doing some really cool things. We're going to get into some of the products you have, the kits you have, the work you're doing. Before we get there, um, how did you even get involved in the health space? What, what happened what, uh, maybe you have a pain to purpose story, but why did you become, how did you become an internal dual board certified doctor in New York City? Yes. Okay. So it goes back to childhood. I think I always wanted to help people. But actually, um, even before I went to college, I had discovered uh, the field of public health. And the idea of prevention always was very attractive to me. And this was a long time ago before public health, like really or preventive health was kind of like out in the world. And I just knew, well, why would you just want to treat disease if you could prevent it? That is so cool to me. So I went to college um, at Johns Hopkins and I studied public health. And I even went to the World Health Organization and was involved in HIV AIDS research. And I really took a holistic view of what it means to be healthy. And I really always thought that it was not just the absence of disease. But I really liked treating people and interacting with people one-on-one. So I went to medical school at NYU. 
And I actually became pretty quickly disillusioned by what my training was giving me because health was not defined as the absence of disease. We were just looking for disease and then treating it and then treating it and disease was progressing. And I, I didn't really know what to do with that or where I would fit into that. But I liked being a doctor, so I kept going. And I, I picked internal medicine as my specialty because it was global and I felt like I could still kind of somehow break through to the preventive health space. But it wasn't very clearly defined at the time. And I was so, my stars aligned and I was so lucky to have met a few doctors who were in this emerging field of obesity and metabolic health medicine in New York City. And as soon as I discovered this was a thing I could pursue, I was like, 100%, this is where I'm going. Because what I was seeing in my internal medicine residency was a lot of end-stage disease that was all tied back to what I, what I thought at the time, and what I think at the time we thought was all weight-related. Now it's becoming more nuanced. We realize it's not just weight-related, but it's the metabolic dysfunction that we often see with excess weight that's related to end-stage disease. And so I found this little field and there was no looking back and I kind of had to carve out my own path. It's becoming more clearly defined for other doctors who have come you know, behind me. But I got to work with some great experts in the field from Lou Aroni, who ha has been on the forefront of medication um, development in this field, Eric Westman, who was the first one to open up my eyes to low carb, got to work um, with him and he trained me. And I, I, again, I don't, to me, there's like no other field. I'm like, why would you pursue any other field in medicine <laughs> other than this one? We need it. And it's so rewarding. So that's how I ended up here. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's interesting about Eric Westman. I didn't realize that. It's super cool. So let's fast forward right now. So the work that you're doing is amazing. I'm going to share some statistics and then we're going to come, we're going to relate those statistics to what you've developed with your kits, which I think are super cutting edge and amazing. So here are some stats. 88% of Americans are metabolically inflexible, probably worse than that. Uh, here's a stat I actually heard from you. One out of three Amer of Americans are pre-diabetic and 90% of them have no idea. One person dies from diabetes every 10 seconds, or I should say the complications of diabetes. They're not really dying from the diabetes. 60% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic. 68% of these diabetics end up with heart disease. 16% have a stroke. 70% end up with neuropathy. And all those stats I just gave in relation to diabetes apply to those who are on medication. So what's the problem here and what is the solution? <laughs> So the problem is exactly how you just laid it out. And I'm, I'm even going like, oh my gosh, I'm running through those numbers. Yes, that's true. That's true. Wow, that is unfortunately true. Very unfortunate, the, yeah. So the solution is actually pretty straightforward. It seems dire when we talk about these numbers. And often people come to me, both in my, my private practice and, and through my company, uh, and to be despondent that they have a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Because when they're told they have it, they're given no solution. So at first I want to say, we actually have solutions and it's good to know and there's so much we can do. So what are those solutions? We can reverse type 2 diabetes. It is reversible. I don't like to say that it's curable because I think people need to be comfortable with the idea that once they go into this place of insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction, they always need to be aware of it. And so there's no magic wand that just takes it away instantly, but we can reverse it. And we can manage it through a combination of food, of lifestyle changes, and then sometimes through medication management too. And not the traditional medications that we think of, like insulin, which often make the situation worse, but we have newer agents on the market. And the, the insulin, by the way, makes the condition worse, but the numbers look good. So typically the doctors are like patting themselves on the back and saying, hey, look, your, your glucose looks better, but the diabetes is getting worse and it's actually progressing even though your numbers look better. And all of, generally all the comorbidities that come with it, including weight, just get worse. And so yes. Yes, it's just a, a terrible chicken and egg um, problem that we have. And, and, and I think we have a fixation in the United States in the traditional medical sphere of treating the number Mm -hmm. and not the individual. Um, and so we really need to kind of like look beyond that. When we look for the solutions, we need to see what works for each individual person. 
um, you were, there was something you said that had me kind of laughing uh, about in relationship to using a low carb diet. So how many people go on to develop a stroke or cardiovascular disease with a diagnosis of type two diabetes. And yet there's so many naysayers that say, well, if you eat a high fat diet or a high protein diet and a low carbohydrate diet, you're going to die of a, of a heart attack or stroke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just know that to be not true. Also, the numbers improve so much generally. And even if you have outliers, we shouldn't fixate on those. We should look at the whole, you know, the individual. Um, and I think it's a good example of how we kind of like lose the forest for the trees when you look at managing type 2 diabetes. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, when we think about the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, and fat, out of those three macronutrients, we know carbohydrates will spike glucose and insulin the most. Now, of course, not all carbs are created equal. Processed carbs will create more of a glucose spike than green leafy vegetables, but they will elicit a glucose and insulin response. Protein will as well, but not as much. Uh, Protein is considered more of a a phase two insulin response, but then fat doesn't even touch the dial. So if we just look at that, it just makes total sense that shouldn't we eat more protein and more fat, less carbohydrates to reverse high insulin and these burned out beta cells in the pancreas? Yes, it does. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm getting just, it's so natural. And I don't even think that it's something that we need to only use when we get to a place of insulin resistance. It's the most effective. And I don't think that we should, everyone needs to adopt a high fat, um, high protein, low carbohydrate diet from the start necessarily. But it's, it's actually what people from the very, very start do. I'm pregnant. We were talking at the beginning. I'm pregnant, about to have my third baby. I will breastfeed again. And we look at the fat composition of, of uh, human breast milk. It is, it's fat. Mm-hmm. It's just fat, pretty yeah. much. Protein, saturated <laughs> fat, and cholesterol, it, yeah. Exactly. And that's what, you know, is the most perfect combination for a human newborn. And so it's silly to think that we even need to kind of step away from that as we grow. And it's so great that there is a movement where people are talking about it. They're tuning into podcasts and you're educating and that people understand this because I think even 15 years ago, people were like, what are the three macronutrients? I just know the food pyramid and the food pyramid tells me to eat grains and fruit unlimited. And then like everything else at the top needs to be that we need to stay away from that. And, and I am so happy now that people are starting to understand that we need to like turn that whole thing on its head. <laughs> yeah. It's usually the opposite of that. <laughs> exactly. So when, when, when it comes to um, insulin resistance and uh, eventually insulin resistance could lead to type 2 diabetes, how long on average do you think, on, and this is on average, mm-hmm. let's say somebody is eating a high carbohydrate diet, a standard American diet, like 300, 400 grams of carbs a day. They're not very active. They're not burning off the excess glucose. On average, how long will it take for their conventional doctor to diagnose them with prediabetes, if they're even diagnosed with that, and then eventually type 2 diabetes. Would you say 10 to 15 years before that happens? Yep. I would even say even 15 to 20. Wow. Yep. We can see evidence of, of metabolic dysfunction through fasting insulin and with a keen eye of looking at disruption in labs early before we see elevated glucose and before we see elevated hemoglobin A1c. They are the secondary markers. And your body is pretty smart. It tries to keep those inflammatory markers low as long as possible. And they'll compensate, your your pancreas will compensate, but it will make more and more insulin as your body becomes more and more insulin resistant to handle the sugar load, to bring blood sugars down and to get it, shuttle it off where it needs to be. And for a long period of time leading up to elevated hemoglobin A1C and and, an elevated blood sugar and a type 2 diabetic range, you'll see elevated fasting insulin for a long time. I almost think it's criminal that we're not checking for it in the primary um, office setting along with cholesterol and no, we look at that wrong generally, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, but still we're screening for it. You know, we're looking for other screening metrics along the way. I would argue that sometimes we follow even screening metrics with labs that are too few and far between, and we start too late. 
we just the um, United States Preventive Task Force just this year changed when you should even be looking at hemoglobin A1C. They reduced the age if you are meeting obesity criteria. And I think it's something that we should be screening for much younger because we do know that 75% of our population carries excess weight and excess weight is related to these elevated markers. So we're not just not looking for the first factor that goes awry. We're waiting way too long to even look often for the secondary factors. It's crazy. So if you're your fasting glucose is above the optimal range, that will happen years after some some form of insulin resistance has developed. Therefore, a fasting insulin, which is not typically run when you do your annual visit to your doctor, is such an important marker. So let's talk about the kit. This is the weight biology kit, and it's a finger prick kit sent to your house. So this one that I have in my hand is testing fasting insulin, Actually, I'll let you, uh, Dr. Alexandra, go through all of these and why you decided to choose these markers and why do you even decide to come up with this? Yeah, so so just like a little backup. Thank you so much for sharing, but just as a backup. So I have a specialty practice and I was looking for a way to scale what I was doing because I am one person. And even if I brought on a few more practitioners, there's only so many people we can help. And I just thought it was so transformative when I discovered how I could use fasting insulin to help I help my patients. I wanted to be able to bring this to a wider audience. And when I started digging, there was no one offering this. And so I created it. And so I created an at-home testing kit that would allow for people to check for their screening markers at home in the comfort of their own home at an accessible price point. But really more, even more specifically than all of that was just testing fasting insulin because it's denied to the majority of people who want to test it. That's crazy. You go to your doctor's office and you ask for it. And this, I will be honest, when I first started training, if someone asked me for fasting insulin, I'd be like, no, because I don't have no idea what to do with it. Yeah, because you're, you're not trained. When you go to school, you're not trained to look at that. Nobody would ever talk about it. And in the conventional old school model, you can only test for fasting insulin in a very complex way with a fasting glucose clamp. And it was really only in type one diabetics, they were looking for it and it was to see what, how much your body was neatly making. But now we realize that we can test this in the general population and that we do through mathematical modeling really understand what the numbers mean. So I thought it was a no brainer to bring this to people. And um, we had worked with an amazing lab who can run this and run all of the tests that I felt really were important for, for metabolic health. So I packaged it into one kit and we released it last year. In the time of COVID, it's even more important. One, because people aren't going to there. They can't access primary care. And then we can talk, maybe we'll, we can even touch on what COVID is doing to fasting blood sugars and post-COVID syndromes. We're seeing a lot of hyperinsulin and hyperglucose responses that are kind of carrying out in a post-COVID syndrome. And we're learning a lot more about it. So I wanted people to be able to be able to test this without having to beg, borrow, and steal for these tests because empowering patients early, we have such a hard time doing that in medicine. And it's almost like, well, no, they shouldn't be able to order it themselves. They shouldn't be able to get this themselves. Uh, they need to come to me, the expert. But when the expert doesn't really know how to actually even preventive to screen for it, and there's so few doctors like me, I think I'm only like one of 0.25% of doctors with obesity and metabolic health training. It's kind wow. of bananas, right? And so it's hard to, to access. And so that's why we created this at-home testing kit. So our weight biology kit, it's not about weight loss. It's really understanding like what makes up the largest symptom that people complain about is excess weight, but they don't really realize what's going on. Generally, weight doesn't just come on out of nowhere. We kind of have factors that are underlying. And so we are testing for, in the blood sugar realm, we're testing for fasting glucose, fasting insulin, and hemoglobin A1C, and we put them all together, and we calculate your insulin resistance score, and kind of often, we'll find that fasting blood sugar is normal, hemoglobin A1C was normal, but when you put the glucose and the insulin together, mm. we actually find underlying insulin resistance. That's so common. And so we want we, we want the fasting insulin to be in single digits. Is there an uh, even better optimal range that we're aiming for for this? So optimal is usually under five. We can give it a little leeway up to eight, but anything over eight means that your body is making too much insulin. 
in response to carbohydrates and it's lingering, especially on a fasting level. We, I have you take this, all of your blood before 10 a.m. in the morning so mm-hmm. that we really know that it, it's correlative. And so in, beyond that, we kind of put this together with some other metabolic factors. So we look at the cholesterol. So we look at HDL and triglycerides and then LDL. We'll, we'll kind of wrap that in. And why triglycerides and HDL are so important and they're overlooked in the traditional um, office environment is people kind of don't, they focus only on the LDL and we include it, but we don't hyper-focus on it. What we're looking for is metabolic syndrome. So metabolic syndrome is a constellation of five factors. And that's where we get that number. About 88% of our country shows some evidence of metabolic dysfunction and only 12% meet all five criteria, health, metabolic health criteria, which is bananas. And that's what we're screening for here. And we help you dig deep for metabolic syndrome because it's often overlooked in the primary office setting. And so they'll just say, oh, your HDL is a little low, like exercise more, or triglycerides are high, you must have eaten something yesterday. So we're screening for all of that. And then we include some wellness factors that are often overlooked, TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. And fortunately, again, in medicine, when it comes to your thyroid, we generally wait for you to get pretty into the disease state. 15, 20 years, just like uh, diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Exactly. And so we're, we're looking for, we have some lower cutoffs and, and kind of discussing what this, what it means. And also vitamin deficiencies are very common. And while vitamin D is often screened for um, in a traditional office setting, vitamin B12 is not. And vitamin B12 plays a lot into energy levels, mood, and metabolism. And so we do an, um, an early screen for that uh, in this kit. And this is the first kit we've developed. We have more kits coming out to address different pain points. We have a PCOS kit coming out and we can talk a little bit more about why that is. But what we're doing in this, in the company is called SoWell. And what we're trying to do is get people to connect the dots between symptoms and then eventual diseases that might be diagnosed, but really showing that it's all under this metabolic dysfunction um, spectrum. And there's a lot we can do right now before we get 20 years down the road. And your doctor says, too bad, you have all of these problems and we need to throw you on a bunch of medications. And that's the only solution. Yeah, I love it. I, I always quote Einstein when he said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. And this this kid is a genius, right? It's helping people become a genius and be proactive instead of reactive. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm gonna drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. I was wondering why and you explained the answer. I was wondering why there was B12 on here and not vitamin D, but you, you explained why, because vitamin D is usually tested for. So you want it to have things that are not typically tested for. So B12, great marketer to get. Looking at your, your um, HDL and, and triglyceride and getting that ratio is so, so important, right? Because it's not just about total cholesterol or even total LDL, but looking at your triglycerides, dividing it by the HDL and getting a ratio along with that A1C, glucose, and insulin. So I think this is amazing because what this can do, if you're not sure if your protocol is working for you or against you, or you just want to be proactive here, you get the kit. It's not expensive. 
It's, it's not invasive. You just finger prick and send it back in and you get the markers and then you could retest. How often do you recommend retesting something like this? Once a quarter. And I think it's really important to point out if someone's like embarking on a new lifestyle change, it's so good to get the data at the beginning because there's nothing more motivating than seeing that you, you took your insulin level down from a fasting insulin of 20 down to 13. And if you waited to test it, you might say, oh, 13 is so high. This way of eating might not be working for me. And you'll mm-hmm. say, oh, no, no, no. I know where I started. Let me keep going. And you'll see improvements in your HDLs and your triglycerides are like the first thing to, to, to be improved. And it's just great. Like, because it's, it's so much more validating than a scale victory. And you know, we talk about non-scale victories when you're losing weight or, you know, we look at energy levels or how you're sleeping, but there's nothing more concrete than labs. And I often find doctors are like, no, I tested you last year. I'm not going to test you once a quarter. Like, why would I do that? Right. Like, are yeah. you feeling better? Did you lose weight? Great. And you're like, no, no, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, so true. I love that. So once a quarter is a great idea. We got a coupon code for the Keto Camper. So your company was so gracious to give us a 10% off coupon code, which is just Keto Camp at checkout, no space in between. You'll get 10% off the kit. The kit is $199. You'll get 10% off of that. So we're going to drop a link for those listening on the podcast and on YouTube right down below with the coupon code. Click that and you can get access to that kit. Uh, so I have a few questions that I'm sure people listening or watching are wondering the same thing. Does insurance cover this? How long does it take to receive the kit? After you send it in, how long does it take to get the results? Okay. Uh, it's FSA and HSA eligible. You just email us and we'll give you something to submit. Cool. It's really fast. Once you order it, you should get it within a couple of days, like even two to three days, depending where you're located. And then you prick your finger, follow our instructions, and then you let the card dry for about an hour and you can pop it in the mail. And as soon as our lab receives it, you get it within a day or two. So the whole process, start to finish, if you do it as fast as possible, between seven, seven and 10 days. So once the results are in, uh, are we notified via email? Do we log into like a portal? Do we download it on the app? How do we get the results? Yeah. So we've created a really interesting kind of backend portal that delivers your results. They live there. We can track them and it's kind of interactive and we give you more tools. So that's, you get an email and it says log into your portal and you'll see everything there. The important thing to note about these labs is that we have doctors licensed in your state who order them and who then review them. They're real live physicians who are boarded in your state licensed there who review them. And I, this was super important to me because I wanted to make sure that there was a safety net. So if we do see something that is off and needs attention right away, we call you. And so it's not just kind of a bot in the background, we have have real people reviewing them. And so it maybe adds a day more to the process, but I think everyone can feel really good about the results they're getting and that it feels safe and secure and healthy. Very cool. So if somebody does this a few times per year and they log into their portal, they could see their previous test results and kind of compare it side to side? Exactly. So we got the progression with it. And then you have a PCOS one that is about to be released. So um, sometime in, in January. So maybe by the time you're listening or watching this, it's out. But what is the PCOS one going to have? So polycystic ovary syndrome. People are like, well, where is this coming from? Well, PCOS is a disease of insulin resistance in the majority of cases. Yep. And for years, we have gone about treating this in the wrong way in the medical community. In most women, so it affects up to 20% of women. So a, a lot of women out there are dealing with it. And a lot of the symptoms that I found in my practice, people would come in and they'd say, I'm waking, I eat nothing, I exercise all the time. What is going on? And you would kind of dig deeper. They really never truly received a diagnosis of PCOS, but that is what's going on. And they had irregular periods, infertility, and what you would find would be raging insulin resistance when you actually went to look for it. And we're really doing women with PCOS a disservice because the traditional fix was just to say, well, your periods are irregular, so we'll fix that. We'll put you on hormonal birth control. And then we fix that problem. So I don't need to see you again. But what no one was really explaining, and I, I, don't, I just don't think that we learn it in this way in medical school. So it's not like someone's withholding information. They just themselves don't know it as an OBGYN. That up to 50% of women with PCOS will go on to develop type 2 diabetes by the time they're 40. Hmm. 
And if we're starting to get these symptoms in our teenage years, you have all this time to prevent and not just prevent the disease, but make yourself feel better <laughs> by following a low carbohydrate diet, by understanding what insulin resistance is, that we set up the trajectory of your life to be very different. And so we developed this kit to help women get closer to a diagnosis because it takes the average woman five years and three doctors to even understand that they have PCOS. And then they're kind of left like wondering what to do with that. And they're often just put on a medication. And so our kit is looking at hormonal levels that will help get to a diagnosis doing complex screening. And that's actually why we're, the, the release date is a little bit off because we're really working on our algorithm for doing the screening and looking for your symptoms and helping you really make sure that oh, we're not missing something, putting that together with hormonal testing. But then more importantly to me, I think is screening for insulin resistance. So if you think you might have PCOS or you do have PCOS, it's transformative when you are starting to look for the fasting insulin. You are looking at the cholesterol markers. You are, are looking at your triglycerides. You're looking out for these other hormonal factors, like looking at your thyroid, because there's often women with PCOS will often have other autoimmune um, diseases that are affiliated with the thyroid. Screening for all of these, since we bundled it into one kit, and really, I really, I think this will be very transformative for young women or even older women who, you know, I have a lot of women in their 40s who are like, I never got a diagnosis, but I have all these symptoms. I'm like, okay, well, we can still help you with that. And we can make sure that we were identifying the insulin resistance that often lurks underneath and change the way you're feeling about everything. So that's our PCOS kit. Very cool. I love that. So that'll be available soon. We'll have links for both all the kits and, and your information down below. Now let's talk a little bit about the solution here, right? We determined we have high insulin, we have uh, wonky cholesterol numbers and some things are off. What is the solution? Of course, we mentioned low carbohydrate diets, keto, but what about, I know you're a big fan of intermittent fasting. Why do you love intermittent fasting? So those are the two solutions right there. Reduce carbohydrates and understand what fasting is. It resets how your hormones. And it's a very easy way to start to understand your relationship to food and hunger. And so when I have patients start intermittent fasting, we don't even maybe even call it fasting. We just call it timed eating and you need to start to realize that you don't need to eat every two hours. And that was fed. No, <laughs> no <laughs> <kind of sentence. laughs> it was fed to us for years that you like will do better if you eat every two hours. Yeah. And your just, adrenal glands, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're just not supposed to be grazers. And so mm -hmm. even starting with like regular meals and no snacking in between and understanding that that can be a little bit of a fast. And then depending on where, your insulin resistance severity is looking at even longer fasts. And we don't have to jump into a 72-hour fast. You can just start to do an in a 16 to 18-hour fast where you bring up your dinner earlier and you have your breakfast later. Or you, you skip through, you know, you don't skip, but you intentionally do not eat until lunch at 11. And what this allows us to do, it's really simple. It just lets your pancreas have a break. So the last time you go without eating food, you can't really re release any hormones because your body only releases insulin and the whole large hormonal pathway in response to food. And um, this is where a very low carbohydrate diet, you don't necessarily always need to combine it with intermittent fasting because if you're not seeing a carbohydrate, you can still keep your insulin nice and low. So this is where fasting gives you some flexibility too. And so not everyone wants to jump straight into keto and they want to try other avenues. I think a combination is the most effective because you get the rest and then also you get the nutrients you need to keep fueling without tanking your basal metabolic rate. And it's just a win-win when you combine them both. It is. It's a great two powerful tools that when you use them the right way, super helpful. I love that you mentioned, you know, intermittent eating instead of kind of fasting. And in the beginning, it's not necessarily about eating less. It's just about eating less often. You could have the same calories, although we don't focus on calories, but you have them in a certain window. And then you have your fasted window where you're just letting your body recover and reset, giving the pancreas 
a break. And if you have severe insulin resistance, then maybe you build up to a longer fast. You're a little bit more aggressive. What about other things that we can do? So keto and fasting, great. What I know that you're a big fan of also walking after a meal. Why do you love that? Well, it is the way that your body knows how to... It, it's what eating is supposed to be for energy. And what mm-hmm. happens is most of us are sitting around not doing too much of anything. So if you can walk right after a meal, feel very old fashioned, your body has the ability, your muscles have the ability to take up any glucose, anything that's been, even if you're just eating protein, if it's been converted to glucose, your muscles know what to do with it. And it doesn't get transitioned over to fats. And that's what we should be doing. We should be moving right after we eat so that we can take up any free glucose um, and using it for energy instead of fat storage. How long should we walk for? Just, I mean, around the block, really. I mean, <laughs> 10, it, it, 20 even, minutes, five, even five minutes makes a difference. And it seems minimal and people are like, oh, well, five minutes. But five minutes is a lot better than zero. So mm-hmm. um, probably about 15 minutes to 20 is the sweet spot. The five Five shows huge glucose benefits. Um, I'm also a fan of reduced carbohydrates. So not everyone, I, I love keto, I really do, but not everyone's up for it. And so really just having a carbohydrate awareness. And when you look at your meal, if you're going to have any carbohydrates, pairing them at the end, because that's so like the order in which we eat our food. So eating our protein and our fats first for satiety and to signal to the body that it's about to eat. And we start to harness some of the protein, the the hormones, but without spiking our insulin. And then you can get a little bit more leeway with your carbohydrates after that. And then we will not spike our glucose as much. There's a great study that came out of Cornell a couple of years ago, and I validated it over and over again with my patients. Um, so the order in which you eat and then what you do after your meal to walk, and it can make a huge difference. Yeah, I love that. Makes sense because if you do start your meal with protein and fat, chances are you're going to eat a lot less carbs than if you ate carbs first because you mentioned protein is going to stimulate cholecystokinin, leptin, peptide, YY. It's just going to help you feel full. And then by the time you bring those carbs in, yeah, you might eat a few of them, but not as much as if you start that meal with carbohydrates. So that's a power tip right there. So many things we can do. We have under our control. You know, the cool thing that I like actually about type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance, it's fairly, I don't want to use the word easy, but when you compare type 2 diabetes to like mold exposure or toxicity or Lyme disease, it's fairly easier to reverse type 2 diabetes versus some of these other conditions out there. And you could do it in a short amount of time. So just these simple strategies that you stay consistent with could go a long way. I know another one of these simple free strategies is sleep. How important is it to get quality? It's so important. Um, As someone, I'm going to come back to it again. I'm at the end of my pregnancy and I'm not sleeping that well. And you just feel it when you wake up, right? You just are like, I'm hungry and I want a carbohydrate because I'm exhausted. And it's very hormonal. It's very, it's your body's way of, of trying to survive. Um, and so good quality, consistent sleep, what we know it does is it keeps your cortisol levels down. When cortisol spikes, all of the hunger hormones spike. And you'll get a spike in insulin, which we're coming back to, you'll get a spike in insulin even without seeing a carbohydrate. You know, we didn't talk about this, but one of the reasons that insulin is so powerful when it's hot, when it's elevated, is that it makes you, it's a hunger driver. And so it makes you very hungry. And what does insulin want to wrangle? It wants to wrangle glucose. So it makes you hungry for carbohydrates. And it also at elevated levels, it stores everything over as fat. It will not let you tap into what you're eating for energy. It wants, it's just says, oh, your body must, must be in this terrible stress mode. We should just take everything you're eating we should just put it over for, for storage for later. And so poor sleep exacerbates the cycle and it drives up our stress hormones. One of the silent epidemics in our country is sleep apnea, which is where people cannot get good sleep no matter how hard they try because they are having interrupted REM and breathing cycles throughout the night. And over on our websites and part of our our kind of our kit process, we do screen for sleep apnea and we give you tool validated tools to see if you might have underlying sleep apnea and what to do about it and who to go talk to. 
because often, unless you're bringing it up to your doctor, it's not part of the traditional screening process and it goes undiagnosed. And so this is like a little PSA. If you're, if you have poor quality sleep, if you wake up tired, if you're fatigued during the day, if you're snoring, if your partner keeps like elbowing you to roll over, get screened for sleep apnea. People are terrified of getting it because they think it just means that they're going to be put on a, like a, a CPAP machine for the rest of their life. They might temporarily, but what happens is once you treat it, you often, it helps you with your other metabolic dysfunction, weight loss. You can actually have the energy to make lifestyle changes. And then often people will come off the treatment for it. It's also one of these like reversible diseases that we have that you don't, we shouldn't be afraid of getting because with poor sleep apnea, all of your other health metrics and insulin resistance comes with it. Like everything just gets really kind of like sets off a trajectory for a lot of other diseases to follow. So look for that screen for that. But then also with stress, with like this pandemic, how we're, we're all like attached to our screens and the stress. If you don't have a good routine to get yourself to bed on time and to turn off and to let your brain be quiet, it's really hard to get consistent sleep. And so we're, I'm always encouraging people to turn off their devices, get into a good routine, limit alcohol, mm. um, make sure that you're not staying up binge watching Netflix until 2 a.m. and then expecting to have a good week of sleep because it will throw you all the way off, right? We put kids on sleep schedules and people are pretty like maniacal about it, right? Like my five-year-old has to get to bed by 8.15, otherwise he's a monster in the morning. <laughs> and it's like, well, why not? Why don't we do this for adults too, right? We should be really paying attention to this more because there are big ramifications when it comes to our blood sugar, when it comes to our insulin and just our overall inflammatory pathways without good quality sleep and enough of it, you're going to have a hard time being healthy overall. So true. Sleep upgrades everything that you're doing with keto, fasting, your supplements or exercise. Sleep is foundational. So I agree with you 100%. And uh, yeah, sleep apnea is very common these days. So if you're waking up tired, like Dr. Alexander is mentioning, maybe you're waking up with a dry mouth, you found yourself mouth breathing, you might want a mouth tape or maybe do a sleep apnea study and, and take care of that. It's not a lifelong thing. Once you start bringing insulin down and losing weight, I've seen people, a lot of my Keto Camp Academy students who came into the academy wearing the CPAP and taking insulin and taking glucose reducing meds and doing keto, doing fasting, working with their doctors, and eventually getting off the CPAP, reducing their insulin, getting off the insulin. So it can happen, and it can happen in a fairly short amount of time. I'm talking about weeks and months, and it's not going to really be years, maybe for some, but typically On weeks the flip months. side, if you treat sleep apnea, often it will help like your blood sugar num numbers improve. It, you will lose weight, and then it's like, it's the same, yes. So weight loss helps sleep apnea improve, but sometimes when you treat the apnea too, you'll lose weight and all of your numbers. So it's this, it's this wonderful um, symbiosis. So I, I, that's my favorite thing. I love taking people off CPAP. Too. Oh yeah, it's so <laughs> awesome. And that, that's because when you're treating sleep apnea, meaning you've diagnosed yourself with it, now you're getting better sleep because you're using the CPAP. Now getting better sleep helps keep cortisol down, helps you make better decisions, helps you lose weight. And then as you lose the weight, you could get off the CPAP. So it makes total sense. And uh, Sleep is so important. I, I don't know what you're going through right now with your lack of sleep, but oh my gosh, when I don't sleep, it affects me more than anything else. So <laughs> all the power to you right now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects. It makes you more dependent on the caffeine, and it puts you in this sympathetic fight-or-flight state, and for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics, which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really 
good way when I have everyday dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find, first of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Uh, Last thing I want to ask you here is about berberine. You know, I've spoken about berberine. I actually take berberine myself. I don't have insulin resistance or anything like that, but I have what I call keto flex days where I have a day of high healthy carbs because insulin is not bad. And I'll take a couple of capsules of berberine. So what are your thoughts on berberine? I think you have a supplement with berberin. Can this be a great thing to add into the mix to help with insulin resistance? Yes. So I'm actually staring at our, our Getso Balance supplement in it that has berberine in it and cinnamon. We have a couple of supplements that, are, that I've used for years that are custom blended that are all based in evidence. Uh, we are so wary of using natural supplements in medicine because they're not quote unquote FDA approved that we tend to never learn about them or suggest them. And often I'm sure your listeners, if they've ever asked their doctors about these things, if they've gotten, you know, get an eye roll, like, no, that's useless. It's not. (laughs) So berberine has over and over again been shown to reduce blood sugars and fasting insulin and insulin up to with blood sugars, we can see an improvement in 20, 20 to 30 points in blood sugars with, with, with consistent berberine use. It's not to say that it should take a place of any medications that you might need, but it has a very similar effect. That and myo-inositol. And I don't know if you ever talk about that. Not so much. Um, Go ahead. So there are these two supplements that have a very similar effect to metformin and will bring down blood sugars naturally. And I always suggest test your test, take it, see how you respond to it. If it does something great, continue it. If it doesn't, then you might have to look elsewhere. But myo-inositol is something that women with PCOS will often use, but it's safe for both men and women. And it's a natural alternative to metformin, which metformin is a drug that makes your body more sensitive to insulin it already secretes. And so we've seen a lot of benefit with both the supplement and the medication to treatment of insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, but also just longevity. So decreased rates of cancer, dementia, inflammation, heart disease. Why? Because all of those chronic diseases stem back to elevated blood sugar and insulin. And so if you can keep inflammation down, it's very, very beneficial. So those are two of our most favorite um, supplements and we do recommend them. And I And it does help with flexibility. So even if you are someone who has now achieved, you know, fat adaptation and you're doing, you're doing low carbohydrate all, you know, most of the time, sometimes you kind of go off. What I tell my patients, I always want them to plan to go off plan, but you do. And supplements like this can help kind of mitigate and bring down. Um, And if you have a higher carbohydrate count level, they can also help kind of offset that. So I'm a, I'm a fan. Me too. It's a great tool. So I know you have that product. So the cool thing about the coupon code that we mentioned, it's off the kits and off of your supplement. So go to the link down below, use the coupon code, get the kits. I have mine here. I'm going to do mine this week, actually send it in. It'd be cool to see that. And I'm going to do it on a consistent basis. So PCOS one will come out soon. I'm sure you'll come out with some other ones that are really creative. Uh, you're probably thinking about that. Where else can they go check you out? What are your socials, your website, et cetera? Share it all. Yes. So our website is getsowell.com. And you can find us on our socials at, at getsowell. And you can also find me personally on Instagram at alexandrasoamd. I'm not nearly as good as you, Ben, engaging <laughs> and posting but I am there and I try to answer questions. So come and find me. And do check out our kits and our product and and uh, we're going to be rolling out some some new kits where you can just test your insulin and your glucose very regularly. And so you can even do it monthly if you'd like. 
um, really just kind of on a metabolic health focus. So we're listening to you. So if you tell us you want something, we're really trying very hard to develop what it is everyone wants at home. And I really thank you for having me to talk about this because I want people to know that they, you know, people who are listening to you have already taken their health in their own hands and I want them to be able to have the data too. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a blessing that you have this for us. So thank you for developing it and making it convenient. Honestly, it's such a great tool. It's convenient. A lot of the times you have to make an appointment. You have to convince your doctor. Sometimes your appointments are getting postponed. You have to wait in the waiting room. That's why it's called a waiting room. But with this, it's sent to your house. You finger prick yourself. You put it on the little card there. You mail it back. It has an actual return envelope in here. So that's all taken care of. So, so you, you just, just like, yeah, you get the one there. kit. And exactly. It's already paid for. It goes to our, our lab. Any issues, you just reach out to us. If you have any questions, taking it. And we have our contact handle everywhere in that kit. And I have to say, I'm laughing as you're saying this because even as a doctor, I can't even convince my own doctors to order the tests I want. So I do these kits because I'm like, they're so easy. Like, why would I go to the lab now? They make me wait an hour there. So I want to know this. Okay, I'm freaking my finger. <laughs> yeah, and you know, a lot of people have uh, some sort of needle phobia, right? And yeah, this is a needle, but it's different than a needle going into your arm and then tying you up. It's like it's like a finger prick. It's like yeah. one and done, so this, right? It's just a it's just a finger prick. It's yeah. just a poke. We give you all sorts of instructions to make it as easy as possible. Any tips for? Because here's what I get a lot with the keto mojo questions, which is also a finger prick. I don't get enough blood. So what what can we do to get enough blood going? And and what are some don't do's versus to do's yes. for this. Um, this is great. Thanks for asking. So I want everyone to fast when they take this test, but people think fasting means no water. And that's just <laughs> not the case. So I want you to stay really hydrated because that really helps with the volume. Um, and I, I think a lot of times when people prick their, they do their ketones, it's first thing in the morning and they haven't stayed hydrated. So chug, do me a favor and chug some water um, first. And then about 30 minutes later, do the test. The other thing to do is to warm up your hands and so to run them under warm water and really get like your circulation going and to try to be as relaxed as possible and then just patient really because everyone thinks sometimes so we try to include the smallest needle so it's as it's comfortable but sometimes you kind of have to massage the finger everyone can see me in a moment I can massage it down and get a little bit of the blood to come out because once you prick it, it's there. You just have to like trust the process and everyone thinks that it's not dripping out right away. I don't want that for you. I don't want it to be good. Like, I don't want it to be dripping out. I want you to have to massage it and it might take a minute or two, but it is not painful. It's easy. I've definitely tested on the most phobic of people. And I'm like, oh, this is nothing. That great tip. And and does it have to be the finger? Can we do it somewhere else on our body? Can it be anywhere? No, you want to do finger because honestly, okay. the vasculature there is kind of the most honest for this. We want so you get the, the best, you get accurate results through the capillaries, through the fingers. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. a great tip. So wash your hands with warm water, massage it, let it let the blood drip out. I, I, I didn't look at it. How many circles am I dabbing with my blood here? Just two. Oh, that's not so bad. Two cards. Yeah. No, no, no. Two little cards. Two okay. cards. And I could have done it all in one, but I really wanted to get the biggest bang for the buck here and get as much data as possible. So my lab was like, you want to just keep it on one card? That might be, you know, no, no, put, put in two cards. So we, so just do little little card spots and um, you get, get a lot for it. I know people, it is crazy when you get a venous blood draw, how many vials they need yeah. to take to get this and, and how little we need. And just if anyone's listening and they have any doubt, this is so validated. So we can't run every test under the sun through a capillary blood finger prick. It's not, you can't do everything. It's never going to replace the, the lab, but everything that we're testing for is a hundred percent validated and it approaches the, it's, it's on par with the accuracy of a Venus. So what you traditionally, that's yeah. great. So, so for example, I wouldn't have done it if you couldn't. Right. So for example, getting a Venus, blood draw of um, fat for fasting insulin is going to be very comparable. comparable to doing the finger prick here and along with the other markers that are in the kit. So that's awesome. So thank you, Dr. Alexandra. So I'm going to put all thank of your you. information down below. I know you're going to have an amazing, beautiful, healthy baby coming up. So congratulations to you and uh, everybody go check her out on our social media. And thank you for coming on here and educating my community today. Thank you, Ben. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Alexandra Sella. She is awesome. 
Those kits are such a valuable resource. I'm going to start implementing them with my, of course, my one-on-ones, but also my Keto Camp Academy students. We're going to offer it to them and keep helps you keep track and accountable. It's just such a blessing to have something like that. So go check it out. Click the link down below in the podcast notes. Use Keto Camp at checkout for 10% off your kit, 10% off any of your products, and go follow her on her social media. She's doing amazing work. We're going to drop all that down below. You can find everything mentioned along with timestamps in the show notes. If this episode was valuable to you, please share it with somebody, somebody you believe who could get value from this conversation. And please leave the Keto Camp Podcast, the rating and review on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. It really helps. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.